morning, Bethel. How is everyone this beautiful morning? Good. We are in week two of our series, Famous Last Words, as we are um, moving closer to our Easter Sunday. And we're looking at the, the last words of our Lord and Savior on the cross. And you know, sometimes we ask these questions, and we like, a lot of times we like to ask these why questions. And a why question is we're trying to understand or trying to figure out, what, does it make sense? Why did this happen? So let me ask you some why questions. That, see if you guys have ever pondered these questions before. Here's, here's one for maybe um, our audience that's a little older that eats this type of cereal. Why, is, why are grape nuts neither grapes? nor nuts. That's just one of those like life-altering questions that you're like, have you ever sat and just pondered that? Here's another one for you. Why can't you tickle yourself? You know, ever, anyone ever just sat around on, with a cup of coffee and asked and wondered that question? Why can't you tickle yourself? Yeah. All right, here's one. Why do most snooze buttons only allow you to snoo it, snooze it nine minutes? Has anyone ever tried to change the snooze button to be longer than nine minutes? Yeah, yeah. If you've, got, if you've got an iPhone, it won't let you change it to longer than nine minutes. It's frustrating. Believe me, I've tried. I've pulled that, part of phone, that phone apart trying to figure out how can I make this snooze button longer than nine minutes? These are just some of those why questions that just we wrestle with in life. Obviously, my sarcasm is dripping a little bit this morning. But we're going to look at a very serious why question today that our Lord and Savior is going to ask as he is on the cross. Last week, we started out looking at the first words that he uttered, you know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he prayed, was praying essentially for the people who were crucifying him. Today, we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 and 46. And this is what the Bible says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. In the middle of the day, imagine it going from sunshine bright to utter darkness. Imagine the hysteria of thinking there's not a cloud in the sky, but the sky is dark at noon. From noon to three. The Bible says darkness came over all the land. Why did it happen? Well, I can't tell you exactly, but what I can tell you is that we know at, at this moment of Jesus on the cross, he became sin for us. And when he became sin for us, his heavenly father turned away. And when the, the heavenly father turned away, the sky became black. It became dark. Verse 46 is some of the loneliest words in all of the Bible. It says about three in the afternoon. So after three hours of darkness, three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? You know, a lot of times in life, things happen in life, and we just don't seem to have a good reason 
or good explanation for that why. Why does God answer some prayers and not others according to the way we think he should? Why, do, why are some people able to find their soulmate and get married and other people who desperately want to find that person can never find that person? Why do so many people Things seem to happen to them that just seem so unfair in life. Just one bad thing after another. We ask these why questions of God. One guy asks a question in a much more common and everyday way. He says, why is my life so empty? We have a world full of people asking that very question. Question, why does life feel so empty? They've pursued money. They've pursued fame. They've pursued career growth. They've pursued all of what the world has to offer through sex and drugs and everything, and they still ask the question, why is life so empty when I have lived life? To its fullest. Jesus on the cross cried out to his heavenly Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in a room this size, I know that there are likely several of you here today asking a why question of God Why is my life the way it is? One of the things that bothers me about so many well-meaning Christians is that a lot of times well-meaning Christians will try to offer oversimplified answers to complicated situations. And maybe you're in the middle of a a tough time and a well-meaning Christian has told you, well, this is probably the reason. Maybe you've heard some. There's three common easy answers for hard times that well-meaning Christians come up and they say. Number one, the, the the reason this is, going, this is happening is because it's all your fault. Now, we know the Bible talks about consequences of sin. That is true. We do have to face the consequences. But they'll say things, well, if you'd had a little more faith, then this wouldn't have been happening to you. So I conclude it's your fault, essentially, is what they're saying. Maybe you've never heard that one before, but maybe you've heard this. Another person come up and say, I know why these bad things are happening to you. It's all Satan's fault. Satan's doing this to you. The truth of the matter is that the devil does attack. And it could be that you are in the middle of a hard time. And it's partially your fault. All those things could be true. The weird thing to me, though, is that sometimes they'll say, well, it's Satan's fault. And then a third person will trail in and give one to opine on your situation and say, you know, it's just, it's all God's will. It's all God's will. Which is it? Is it my fault? Is it Satan's attack? Is it God's will? What is it? Why am I facing this hard time? Is it some combination of two or three? The problem for me is there's oftentimes very complex situations in which simple answers do not apply. What's interesting to me here is we examine the words of Jesus on the cross, and here's what we notice as we look at his life. As a whole, we know that from the moment he was born, Satan, the spiritual enemy, attacked Jesus constantly, oftentimes through people. Even when Jesus was a little baby, 
from the point that he was born, Herod sought to murder him, murdering all of the baby boys in Bethlehem two years and younger just to try to get Jesus. How awful and terrible is that? Jesus, even in his hometown, Scripture says he was a prophet without honor. Even in his hometown, they tried pushing him over a cliff to kill him. People called him a heretic, called him a fanatic, said he was demon-possessed, said he was drunk, said he was a glutton, said that he hung out with the wrong type of people, that Jesus was not one of us, meaning the religious people. He was falsely accused. He was tortured, beaten, taken to the cross. And what's interesting to me is that when Jesus suffered at the hands of men, he never complained. He never complained. As we looked at last week, what did he do? He prayed for them. In fact, the first words I can find in the four Gospels of him uttering anything that resembles a complaint is when he became sin for us and the world became dark. The Father withdrew his presence and Jesus turned to him and said, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Why? Jesus knew why God had to forsake him. But the immense pain of being turned away from the Father, someone that you had been uniquely together with from eternity past, from all time, and to be separated from the Father because of sin. The sky turning dark, it seemed like God... was gone. So many times in our lives when the proverbial skies go dark, when all around us just seems like life is caving in. I've got this financial burden. I've got this kid giving me a hard time. I've got this health issues. Like wherever you turn, the sky seems dark and we turn to God and we're like, God, are you there? Why God? Why? One of my favorite stories in all of the Old Testament of deep faith when the, this looks like the skies are dark and everything is coming around. We looked at this story a couple years ago when we walked through the book of Daniel. It was the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were there as young Hebrew boys and they were probably at this point in their early 20s. And the king Nebuchadnezzar built this tall golden image that was 90 feet tall, and he told all of his kingdom that they would bow down and worship it. And these three boys said, we worship the one true God and him alone. And he says, no, 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 if you're going to live, O King Nebuchadnezzar said, if you're going to live, you're going to bow down and worship this just like everybody else. And the boy says, no, O King, we will not worship your idol. And he said, well, if you don't, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And I'm going to burn you alive to make an example of you to anyone who opposes my rule. At that point, you have to ask yourself, how deep is your faith? Is your God 
Is faith in your God so strong that you would not turn your back on him? When darkness enters your world, how real is your faith? These three Hebrew children uttered some of the greatest words of all time. King Nebuchadnezzar said, Because you failed to bow down, I am now going to destroy you. And they said, Man, what faith. Our God will deliver us. Our God will deliver us. Incredible faith. And they took their faith to a higher level. And they said, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't do what we think he can, if he doesn't come through in the way that we think he can, we will not bow down. We will not serve your God. How deep is your faith? When the clouds are around and you feel like God is gone, are you still willing to say, I'll serve him. I'll follow you. Go ahead and throw this word up on the screen. Let me ask you, when you see this, what do you, what, what do you see in this, in this word? How many see nowhere? Anybody see nowhere the first time you see that? All right. How many of you guys see now here? Now here. All right. It's about, actually, it's about 50-50 when you see that um, as you look at that word. You know, to me, this illustrates beautifully the way that we can look at a situation in life from different perspectives. Some people, in the middle of a hard time, they would look at it and say, God is nowhere. He's nowhere. I'm struggling. Life is hurting. God, you are nowhere. And others will look at the very same thing like the Hebrew boys. And they would say, God is now here. He is in our presence. I know that God is always with us. What is incredible to me about Jesus is the only thing that he needed to endure physical pain, the emotional pain, the relational pain, the only thing that he needed was the presence of the Father. That was it. And the only time that we see Jesus complaining in his earthly ministry is this moment when God's presence was not there. That's the only time. And the same is true for us. We only see part of the story. We only see our part of the story in our life. There is the Father's perspective, which is so much bigger. So much bigger. That's why I like the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. He said it like this. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. In the middle of pain, remind yourself you are only seeing part of that story. 
God's perspective we do not see. The Bible says his ways are higher than our ways. His understanding is greater. His wisdom is infinite, infinitely greater than my finite knowledge can ever comprehend. You know, it's a lot like this. Whenever I took my little precious Cassie to the doctor to get her shots, there she is sitting on the doctor's table She's about 12 months old there to get her 12-month shots. She's sitting there all happy-go-lucky with her little book, and uh, she was having a good time there at the doctor. Um, you know, that's prior to her getting her shots. You know, as the doctor comes in, you notice the doctor comes in, does their checkup, and then the doctor leaves before the shots ever take place. You ever notice that? They, you know, doctor, I think doctors should be required to stay in there and see those, those shots taking place. But they leave and the nurse comes in with that, that long needle. And as that shot is going into her, her, uh, her leg, you can just see her emotions go from this cute little thing to crying in terror. And it's almost like she, I can still remember her looking at me almost with like this, Daddy, I can't believe you're letting them do this to me. Almost like, you know, E2 Brutus, you're like, you're letting them do this to me, Daddy. You know, and, you know, I want to explain, honey, this is for your good. Her little 12-month-old little brain would never comprehend that. As much as I sat there and tried to explain to her vaccinations and her little shots, she would never, ever get what I am a father is trying to do for her is good. You see, we only see part of the story. We only see what's impacting and what's hurting us now and not understanding that God knows God's wisdom is infinite. You think about Jesus dying on the cross, you can only imagine the different perspectives of the story. Just think about the different perspectives around the cross that day. You see the crowd who one time cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And the crowd must have been looking at this event and from their perspective, they're looking at it and saying, good riddance, we're getting rid of another lunatic. You think of the disciples part, as we know that there were some disciples, John, the mother, and then the mother of Jesus, Mary, they were still there around the cross. And they were probably thinking, wait a minute, we left our homes, we left our families, we left our careers, we left our possessions, we honored this guy, we followed him for the last two and a half years of our life, we did everything that he said. What is happening? The story can't end this way. We did all of this for nothing. But we have another perspective. We have Jesus' part of the story. When he cried out, my God, my God, why? Then you have God's perspective. Where God's heart at this moment was surely breaking. He turned away with the most sacrificing, selfless act of love that has ever been and will ever be given in the history of the world. Imagine 
He loved you and I so much that he allowed his son to suffer in our place. So let's for a minute look at some insight that God gave us to his part of the story. In scripture, sometimes we don't get to see God's side or God's perspective. Sometimes we may not see it until eternity, but in this case, we get to see God's perspective of the story. The Father's part to why, my God, my God, why? Let's, we can see we know of at least two reasons from God's perspective. Let's look at number one. He said, the Father forsook Jesus because he became sin. He became sin for us. Why did God forsake him? Because Jesus became sin for us. I want us to read this next verse out loud together in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's go. Let's read this together. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God turned his back because he became sin for us. All of the sin that we have committed against the holy God, Jesus took upon him that day. Don't ever forget that. Let's not forget that because God is holy, he hates sin, and whenever God finds sin, sin must be judged. And Jesus became sin for us and died on the cross in our place. That's why God could not look on. That's why God had to turn away in Habakkuk chapter 1, it talks about guys, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. God cannot tolerate wickedness. And when Jesus became sin, hatred, murder, jealousy, envy, lying, when Jesus became this, God's eyes were too pure to look. And he had to turn away. I like how the old theologian Arthur Pink describes God's holiness. He said, So holy is God that mortal man cannot look upon him in his essential being and live. So holy is God that even the heavens are unclean in his sight. So holy is God that when Abraham beheld a glimpse of his glory, he said, I am but dust and ashes. Job, when he saw a sense of the presence of God, said, Therefore I despise myself in his presence. Isaiah, getting a glimpse of the presence of the glory of the Lord as his train filled the temple, said, Woe is me, I am ruined. He said, I am becoming undone. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is me, I am undone because I have seen the glory of the Lord. God is holy. And from his perspective, when the world ask why he says i'll tell you why it was done for you jesus died for you there was no other way to satisfy our sin debt before a holy god outside of jesus never forget the father's perspective number two we see the son was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. 
Jesus became sin and died with sin and was buried in a grave. And then three days later, God raised him from the, the, the grave, clearly displaying God's conquering over death, hell, sin, and the grave. So the Son of God is living and he's living today. And we're going to celebrate that. Not only this Sunday, we're going to celebrate it on Easter Sunday. And we should celebrate that every single Sunday because we serve a living God. 1 Peter 2.24 said, He himself bore our sin on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I know we sing this song quite often with these words. By his wounds we are healed. We are healed. You see, Peter describes it this way because we all have a disease that's infected the entire world. And there's only one way to cure it. It's by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is it. Jesus asked, my God, my God, why? And God would say, I did this out of love for you. If you're asking why, if you're hurting, you don't understand, please never forget the father's part of the story. There's a story of a dad who loved his wife, and he had one son, one child, that eight-year-old boy that he loved very dearly, and the boy idolized his dad. They enjoyed spending time together, enjoyed their weekends together playing ball. And this dad, he operated a drawbridge as his career, and he did it with precision and accuracy. And he knew his job was important because many times throughout the day, he had to raise the drawbridge and he had to lower it. So the ships could pass through and other times he would have to lower the drawbridge so that the train could go over the bridge. And his communication had to be accurate and precise to, make, to be sure that everything was done right because there were trains that depended on him and that there were ships that depended upon him. One day his son said, Dad, hey, I want to come hang out with you while you work at your job. I want to see how you do your job. Daddy, can I come to work with you? His dad said, yes, come on, we'll have a blast. And the father and the son were there having a blast together. It was about the end of the day. It was probably his 13th or 14th successful transition of raising and lowering the drawbridge. And a train was coming, and it was time to get the drawbridge down and time for the train to pass over with all of the passengers. And he looked around, and he could not find his son. He did not know where his son was. And he called out to him, and his son had wandered off. And he knew that there were a lot of dangerous places that his son could wander off to. And so he said, son, where are you? Where are you? And finally the little boy cried out, daddy, I'm down here. I'm down here. And he was down by the gear shift that operated the bridge. And as the train was barreling, the father knew that he had a choice to make. He knew that the hands of hundreds of people on that train were in his hands. And he knew that he did not have enough time 
to save his son. In a split second, the father made the most sacrificial decision a father could ever make. He threw the switch and turned his head. And he could not bear to look on what was happening. As the train traveled by, the father began to cry out in the darkest moment of his life. And as the people were on the train, they were completely oblivious, completely oblivious to what this father had just done for them. Men on the train were sitting back, reading their newspaper, smoking their cigars. Some of the ladies were talking to each other. Some of the passengers were playing cards, looking out the window, and not knowing that this poor father was grieving the loss and what he had sacrificed to save their lives. Can you imagine for a moment what God the Father feels like when we live our lives day by day without even a hint of gratitude or thankfulness for the ultimate sacrifice that he made for us. Allowing his son to become sin for us to the point where he had to turn his head away. How many days do we live our life not even reflecting on what Christ did for us on the cross? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Some may say in the middle of pain, God is nowhere. Others who draw close to him say, no, no, you don't understand. In the midst of pain, God is now here. God is here with us. Through all of hearts, all of the struggles of our heart, all of the difficulties in life, God never abandons us. He is always with us. If we ever doubt the love of God, if you ever doubt God's love for you when life is hard, look at what he sacrificed for you. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please shoot us an email at info at mybethel.cc.